Hey, Harbaugh. Sorry, I'll unmute myself. How are you, hun? Good, how are you? Tired. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad you're here. I actually wanted to chat with you, so that's lovely. Cool, yeah, I, I saw your, um, this time is not, and this time in, of the week and the day is not usually on my radar, but then I had just read your um, post that you put in the WhatsApp, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll go in there and meet with her. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, I'll just go ahead and pray us in then. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's just BS. So. Ah. So grateful and so thankful to be the two or more gathered in the name and nature of love. So grateful and so thankful for this time to connect, to join together, and to bless our lives as spiritual counselors, as light bringers, and as those striving to be more loving, more joyful, and more at peace. We offer up any blocks to love. We bless our conversation. We share the benefits with everyone because we're one. Grace and gratitude, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. So, congratulations, by the way. (laughs) I totally, Spirit totally told me about that happening. Okay. (laughs) As soon as Lori told me, like Lori told me, but she hadn't like announced it to everyone yet. And um, I just, you were the first thing and that pops in person that pops into my mind I was like oh I bet ours was gonna do it I think (laughs) well thank you I was surprised and kind of like it was not on my radar so Uh, (laughs) it's uh it's it's exciting and it's also just a really crazy time of year already and so it just feels like trying to stay centered and just really have to begin to sort through what's valuable and what's not, right, to me, and keep, like, value-centered because there's, like, so much you can do, and I'm not used to that anymore um, from being sick for so long, so it's kind of like, can I be a normal person? <laughs> yeah, that's a big you're the perfect person to ask, right? Because yeah. uh, it's such a big adjustment and a shift. It's so interesting. Like I remember you, like you and I started like, I think right around the same time. We did. We had very similar circumstances and experiences and like, definitely kind of parallel processes going on as we've both grown and shifted. Like it's been so cool to, to uh, just, yeah, just be a part of that with you and 
see that in someone else and it's like, yeah, really exciting. <laughs> well, yeah. And I remember when you were going to take your, like, your certification exams and you were so worried and then you passed them oh. and then it felt like after oh. that, things really shifted quickly for you. And then next thing I knew, you were, like, out on the West Coast, and you were, like, in practice. And I was like, yay for Cal. She <laughs> made that leap into, I don't know, real life again. So. Yeah, yeah. And it took a while. It took a while just, like, adjusting to it, but also just, getting back into a life where I was like making all these changes frequently and just like, you know, big drastic changes with jobs and career and housing and states, you know, just all these relationships, just lots of things. And um, so it, yeah, it took a while and it took a while to come back from that too, just like financially and emotionally and all the forgiveness, um, lessons I had to learn with that too and yeah it's been quite the journey I'm actually coming up on my three-year health anniversary, I call it where I like miraculously healed from all the mold um was at the very end of October three years ago so um, exciting that's when my life really started to take off and that was also right when I did the intensive and right before I started Natural Living so that really up to that point I had just been in um, finding freedom and just kind of was getting going with just Course in Miracles in general and um, and the ministry. So, yeah. Yay. That's exciting. I had my, my marked my 10 years of, um, since my injury in August and I could just look back and see just really in these past three years because I started Masterful Living in 2018 as well and I was, did Finding Freedom in October of 2017 and just from that period of time to now just like just how different mm-hmm. I am and even though I complain like I still don't feel like great great like you know but I'm also turning 50 in a couple months oh yeah I thought some... you were like 40 <laughs> no thank you you're so sweet no I am and so like I think maybe some just general aging has caught up with me as well and I know that if we believe that it will be, so I'm going to work on shifting that next. <laughs> did you say next week? When did you say? Um, December. Oh, December. Okay. A couple months, yeah. So, yeah. So this week I just, I need to get through my father's, the anniversary of my father's death, which is Friday. So. Oh, wow. I go that, that went fast that year. I feel like that just happened. I feel like you were just like sending prayer requests about that. <laughs> it is. I mean, I was in a meeting with Angela and she had mentioned Annan and um, he died on October 12th, which is also Laurel's birthday. 
Oh. And so it was just after my dad died, so I really remember it. And she was like, oh, yeah, he, he just, he died a few months ago. And I was like, Angela, it's like a year. She was like, whoa, whoa, right? And I'm like, yeah, she, you know, something about COVID has really yeah, time affected working. our time. Yeah, I just understand so- Wow, a year. How are you doing with that? What's that been like for you? Hmm. It's been, I don't know, sort of off and on. Um, yeah. I think the hardest part is my mother and her not being settled, like her not really able to be by herself. And so she's been at my sister's a lot and sort of our attempts to help her and to and just get her to take a step um, have been met with uh, a lot of resistance. And so I've been doing a lot of forgiveness work and um, and kind of staying out of it, but I don't have that luxury. So uh, this weekend I'll be at my sister's house and the three of us will be together. And, and so I think that will be a time to, you know, I want to be just, the loving, compassionate, open presence that I would be for any client. And I really just had to look at my own motivations, like why do I need her to be different, like to move on, to do things, and really Mm -hmm. look at that. And it just took me back into a space that um, some stuff had come up, and I discovered like this underlying anger and so it's been a journey particularly in the these past couple of months and really working with forgiveness work so that when I'm back with my mom and then she's also going to come here to stay for a bit that it will be it will be a, a, a good experience as opposed to one that um makes more attention and discord in our families. So I don't know if I totally answered your question, but <laughs> um, yeah. So I was, I, I know I didn't really share a lot of the story, but so my dad got readmitted to the hospital after a fairly routine prostate cancer surgery, and it was milder after they'd taken it out than they initially thought. Hmm. And then he couldn't, um, his his bowels just didn't wake up after surgery, so he got readmitted. And he was already in the hospital now, and we were taking shifts to stay with him overnight. And then on the 8th, as I was leaving, because it looked like he was doing better, he got up, the physical therapy was walking down the hall and coded. So I was around the corner. I hadn't left to go home yet, and I got the call from my sister to go back to the hospital. So I had happened to stop to get some Starbucks and to work in my journal before I got on the road. So, So I went back to the hospital, and I was in the room when they were working on my dad. I was with him. So... I saw him code and them work on him for like 40 minutes of resuscitation. 
And so I already knew he was gone, right? So um, I just knew he was, like, fighting so hard to have some presence for my mom. You know, they just spent their 50th wedding anniversary last year. Um, But I already knew he was gone. So then it was, like, another day, and she's doing heroic measures, which he really didn't want. And um, so it's just a matter of time. And then we, early in the morning, uh, the next morning, maybe 4 or 5, we got a call to come in because they weren't able to maintain any pressures and, you know. But um, so then we were in the room and then he coded again and they were all working on him and it just was like, Mom, please let him go, you know. And so that took a while. So, um, yeah. So I I think part of that is that I'm the reason why I told that story is because um both as being a physician who's had patients who've coded and have been and seen all of that, I, I kinda knew already. And when I was in that room and, you know, they were about to call it multiple times and finally, you know, the doctor was like, Yeah, even if he came back now prognosis, right? It's been 40 minutes. And so I I really knew like that that wasn't that was a body at that point, right? It's, it wasn't my father anymore. So I think for me I'd already said goodbye. Mm-hmm. You know, at that space. Um and so the harder part is like watching my sister and especially my mom, right? And so, yeah, I feel like I feel my dad's presence. Like, I can turn around and be like, hey, dad, you know, just ask him something. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. So it was way more than I wanted to actually say. <laughs> but I thank you for giving me the space to do it. Yeah, maybe you needed to say that. I appreciate you sharing that. It sounds like an intense experience just the being in there for 40 minutes alone. Like, that that sounds heart-wrenching. Like, even if you were ready just to watch that, you know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. My mom was just like, go be in there, you know. And it's like, okay. And the staff let me because they were just like, um, how is she here? And they were like, oh, you're so calm. You must be in the medical profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, you, you just, you see it's a body. It's a shell. So, yeah. <sighs> I appreciate that because I did go to the grief uh, group today. And I, mm-hmm. I usually go, but... I just I didn't feel like any space that I wanted to share about this upcoming anniversary and sort of my own mixed feelings because I personally wouldn't celebrate an anniversary of a death, but rather say mm-hmm. someone's birthday. Mm-hmm. But I know that these are rituals, and so trying to just be supportive. Mm-hmm. 
Kind of thinking like maybe I want to switch it to like you did for your health anniversary um, and choose a date there instead. I, I don't remember it being like instantaneous though. It just it felt kind of gradual. Uh huh. Yeah, mine was kind of. I feel like that's not really typical, but but it for my situation I guess it made more sense because it was really just like dependent on my actual environment so um, yeah yeah it's a fun thing to celebrate <laughs> yeah. yeah well I guess it's not really celebrating it it's marking it and um, there were actually quite a few people who were marking passings in the Greece group like within this week and so I, I just I find it interesting it's like this cluster hmm. that's interesting yeah I had a really interesting dream last night that was um really intense with grief it mm -hmm. was really I feel like it was like a past life memory for me but also like holding the energy of like universal grief that people are feeling right now because I don't have like my own personal deep grief about losing anyone in my life is in terms of like them passing like I've, I've had a recent kind of grief with people leaving Portland um, I have a close cousin and two close friends who just left Portland. Carla is one of them. Oh, um, she's gone. Friend. Yeah, she just left to go to San Diego. And then my cousin, who's like my only close family member, um, left to go back to Virginia to be with her family. Mm -hmm. And then my, my, one of my closest friends, who is also my ex, who I've been living with as friends this whole last year, um, she just went back to Florida. So... Mm -hmm. I'm dealing with the grief, but the dream was really interesting because it, I lost, so I was a Native American in this dream, and I was a 12-year-old girl, and I was, like, in America on my Native land, and the white people, the white men were coming in and invading our village, and we had to run and flee, and I had this older sister who was, like, maybe, like, 17, and she was engaged to this wonderful man huge man um uh and he she got killed by the a white man in the fleeing and i was running away with all the other villagers and i had this cousin come towards me and who had just um had her mother or her grandmother someone had just been killed by a white man and we were running away and I was like in this like deep, I was like deeply sobbing and grieving wow. while running away from my village with my cut and my cousin was holding me and I was like squeezing her shoulders like tightly and all the people in the village were coming up and like looking at me and like non-verbally communicating their like love for me like while we were running, it was so intense and the emotions were so intense. And then when I woke up, it like all that grief 
was like released. Like I didn't even feel it when I woke up. I was just like, wow, that's really interesting. And it was like whatever needed to be released, whatever that was about my grief, known and unknown, anyone else's ever was like, it like released. But it was, it was crazy. It was really, um, so I, I think of this is like a universal thing that's like being felt very deeply right now. I mean, it has been right since the pandemic. Just things going on politically, like there's so much grief, but I haven't really been feeling it on a conscious level. Um, right. But yeah, I feel like I was just feeling a lot of it. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Well, I'm really grateful for your capacity to hold all of that, you know, subconsciously, yeah, unconsciously, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, just the the release of that, I think that is just so powerful because there has just felt like such a deepening intensity over this last week um mm. of everything, you know, and I think I saw today it's 29 days to the election and it's just yeah, there's a lot um yeah. And I think for me, it's not necessarily death, but it's, I just have had so much grief about, you know, loss of, it's just the list goes on with my injury over time, like all the things that mm-hmm. I I lost. Um, and so that that grief, and that's kind of a grief, too, that's hard to share with others, you know, this. Yeah. loss of sense of self and um mm-hmm. you know all the things that go with it but yeah well I can relate to that kind of grief and the guilt I had a lot of guilt about you know the way I acted and the you know who I had become and being the victim and a lot of guilt in my relationships with family and um yeah yeah, it is. That's a whole other really specific type of grief, really. <laughs> yeah, I think what it made me realize is that um, that, that is a really missing component around disability is grief counseling, and that's really, really needed. <clears throat> I think that gets sort of pushed under the rug to deal with whatever the actual medical health things are, um, but but the grief isn't really recognized and, and dealt with. And I think for me, it translated into panic attacks and some other stuff that was very, like, PTSD and, you know. Yeah, yeah I experienced all that, yeah. It is, it's a very, like, it's like this subtle grief a lot of the time and it's like because it's like a it's like your daily life you know it's not like oh I lost this thing or this I lost this person and people know that's what I'm dealing with like it's like a day after day I'm grieving the loss of not leaving the house today I'm grieving the loss of my body not taking a walk like the loss of not being able to cook without excruciating pain and exhaustion just like basic stuff like every day like I remember that it was it's intense 
It is. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And um, and then I guess for me too, you know, <clears throat> the sense that this is your life for the rest of your life, like that is where despair comes in because it's just like, wow, you know, what is really the point of being? Like, what is this? And so finding meaning amidst all of that is just so important. And I know that if I didn't have my children, that I would not have made it. So. Mm. Absolutely true. Uh, uh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> that is. So just that kind of also brings me to one of the aspects that I wanted to chat with you about, and that's um, sort of the information you shared about if you have a client who um, indicates that they have suicidal ideation or intent, like sort of what to do in those steps. And in the state of North Carolina, anyone who is involved in anything to do with children or anything, they are technically all mandatory reporters, not just health professionals. Um, and so I wondered, one, is there a specific place that people go to find out if they're mandatory reporters or not? I don't know. I actually, I hadn't thought much about that until it was you that brought that up that in that call, right? How the, the states have different laws about that? Maybe. I don't quite remember now. It but. might have been you at the very end. And, um I I actually didn't know that, or maybe I had and had forgotten it, but I, um, so I don't actually know, but I would assume that, uh, yeah, I wouldn't know specifically other than Googling that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I Probably just. That was new to me, I didn't actually know that. Yeah, I know the concern was raised about telling people that you're a mandatory reporter, which you do. And I was like, hmm, um, I, I don't know when and how to do that. And maybe it's on the intake form. I don't know. Yeah, so, well, with me, what I do, because I have, so if I have a mental health client, I verbally tell them in the first session, and they also signed a form saying what those limits of confidentiality are and, and what I'd have to report. But okay. but with my with um, spiritual counseling clients, what I have been doing is I have them read. Um, I send the, the disclosure statement is what I call it to them that talks about that. It's like my general coaching disclosure statement and it talks about that stuff. But I actually with them, mm-hmm. I have them read that form and sign it, but I don't actually verbally say it in the first session. Mm-hmm. Like that's definitely something I only verbally do with my mental health clients. And I think it's just like a difference of, the setting and I was trained to say that in the first session and 
um, as like an intake process. So I don't, I don't actually tell them, but they do. I, I mean, I assume that they read it uh, when they sign it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually tell them unless, yeah. So you have a form um, more so than just that intake information, but an actual form that people sign and send back to you when they yeah. become like a, a coach, a client, a regular client. Yeah, it's not a, it's not really a form so much of as, well, it's a form. It's a document. It's like a, a, a several paragraphs about different things. So it talks about like my experience and then it talks about, um, um, like my fee and it talks about, um, then the limits of confidentiality and it talks about, um, oh, like that I like, I can't respond to you if you're in crisis necessarily, um, like things like that. Yeah. And then they just sign it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's trickier. I probably am the one who said it because it's trickier when you're uh, a medical professional or you're like working in schools and things like that because that's actually where like in the hospital that's like automatic. But since I sub at my kid's school or I used to, now I have enough to do. That was part of the training, like all this mandatory reporting things, um, you know, about abuse and and stuff. And so I'm just wondering how to, I think maybe just disclosing that, say this is how some people handle it and then let people know that there are various ways that they might handle it and that they may wish to check. Maybe that's the easiest way. Um, and then the form that the information that you sent to are those two different documents. Like, is there an intake, and then there is sort of a what yeah. to do? What I did actually, I so I have this like intake form where they fill in their name and their contact info and things like that. And then what I was just talking about before was it's like a total separate form where all they do is sign it, like they read it and then they sign it. Um, those are the two forms I send. And I actually, that intake form mm-hmm. that I made, that is, um, I sent that, I, I wrote a document about how to respond to uh, client safety issues on Google Docs, and I sent it to Lori to, like, review it with Jennifer, and they were going to put it up somewhere, but I haven't, heard about that so I I guess she's still working on that but um or maybe that would be going to you well no Laurie's still going to be doing this yes work. actually I'm, I'm working on that too so it, oh, it can go through um yeah I saw it but one of my questions was whether or not there were two separate pieces to that and that's what it read to me like the intake oh. and then there's also how to respond to um, a client yeah, I don't remember how I did that. I think that I just, like, wrote a bunch of notes on how to respond to clients, and then at the end or something, I, like, copied and pasted, like, my template for the intake form. 
Yeah, I think that's how it's ordered. Um, and so I was like, hmm, these seem like two different documents. Uh, so that's yeah. but so. Yes, you could separate them. That's okay. a good one. Like to, I see what you're like. It's kind of confusing because I put it all in one like that. Well, it's not necessarily confusing. I just my instinct was like, oh, these feel like separate pieces, and yeah. so um, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, another, I think, question was, do you ever ask a client who has? you know, indicated, you know, they say they want to commit suicide. I know one of the questions that has been asked to me is trying to make this distinction between is it that you are trying to get out of pain or is it that you really wish to die and that typically you get two different answers um, from a client. Is that is that something that you do in your either either practice? That's a good question. I have asked questions like that, like to, because I have clients who, when they become suicidal, the trigger is they are so overwhelmed and it might even be that they're like more anxiously overwhelmed than like severely depressed. And because they're so overwhelmed, they just like, cannot handle life and so there is a distinction and I and so I do ask those clients um, particularly I ask those clients that I know get triggered in that way I'll ask them like um, what's really going on if if like if that's yeah if that's going on Mm -hmm. yeah because it is different it's um that yeah it's a very different i think it is kind of two different types of suicidal uh thinking there yeah right i i think the hopelessness about you know the pain and particularly in coaching and in spiritual counseling, you know, our premise is we believe, even though you don't. And so there's the, if if we believe that this is possible for you, there are people who wish to help you, let's do that. And I feel like that's a little bit different, at least it was for me, um, than, um, you know, someone who's like, whom you can't even really engage with at that point. They've already given up, you know. Mm-hmm. So. And then in the conversation we had, and Jennifer was describing, uh, was it Michael Beckwith talking to someone on a on a crisis line? Um, mm-hmm. We want to keep them on the line, correct? Yeah, yeah, whenever possible, try to keep them on the phone and keep them, like, responsive at the very least, you know, because they, could, they could be really getting really shut down, you know. I mean, it could go, they could be in a real dysregulated, anxious, panic state, or they could be in a really, really shut down state, so... Yeah, keeping them engaged and keeping them on the phone, keeping them like, you know, having them kind of 
try to stay present in their body, like with breathing or like looking around and like naming things around them in the room, like things that can help ground and stay present in your body is good. Yeah. That's a really great tip. And then there's a, so do you, do we just go ahead and how do you figure out where the crisis line, this is where if you needed to send someone to their house, this is where you need to know where they live? That's when I like to know, have the information of where they live so then you can find out what county they live in. And ideally you would just ask them if you wanted to like, I mean, when I used to do in-person sessions and like I could like, get on the phone and call uh, a really great intervention is if you can get on the phone and call the 24 seven crisis line and talk to them as the, the counselor talk mm -hmm. to them with them in the room and like, you know, put, put it on speaker or something and like have a conversation with everyone. Um, but like, I often think about how I would want to do that. Like if it was over video um, but one option is you could, ideally you could ask them, you know, what county are you in and Google what their crisis line number is and then ask if they want to, like, make the call, like, if they want to make a call like that while they're on the phone with me, that's when it would get tricky. Like, I haven't thought about what logistically that might look like um, on, like, a video call. But, um, yeah, I don't know. But what I do know is that I will be seeing someone tomorrow who probably would know. So I'll also ask about how now that they're doing so many video uh, visits, how they handle something like that and get some input on that. Yeah, I like to, um, when I do safety planning with them, oh, that's the other thing I put, I think, in that document, is I put, like, a, a sample safety plan. But when I do that, or I have someone who's, you know, not, like, ready to kill themselves right then, but in that state, um, I will have them put, take out their phone and actually enter the crisis line number in their phone if they don't have it in there and, like, explain, okay, this is, like, how you'd use this, you know, this is when you can use this, this is kind of person who answers and like, you know, actively get them thinking about that resource is good. Yeah. And then you schedule contacts with them, I know that part. Um, so, all right. I think uh, you've really helped me think through any input that I might be able to add to the awesome document that you already sent. And I just wanted to affirm that it was received with so much gratitude and it really is going to be useful and used um, for the spiritual counselor. So thank Good. you for doing yeah, that. Glad to hear that. Yeah, I think actually this time of year like the spring can um, some suicidal thinking and um, suicidal 
people find throughout the plan that can spike a little bit this time of year. It's like October, November, and then like April. So yeah, the, I mean, there's the, been some things, obviously, even more intensity with the racial stuff, with the election. I mean, there's a lot going on. So <laughs> there is a lot. I mean, there's natural disasters happening everywhere. I mean, there's just a, a lot of intensity and you know the the cycle too like i've just noticed the light dark cycle um so quickly we have gotten into a lot of dark and we don't shift into our the next time zone until like november and so this feels like a very tricky time for a lot of people who are light sensitive mm. That's a good point. Yeah, I actually used to have a really hard time this time of year when I had really high anxiety, um, just with like the days getting shorter. It was like this feeling of like safety was kind of like decreasing or something. So I think I've even been feeling it myself the last few weeks. I've been like a little bit more anxious and with the, you know, the, the sunset setting earlier and um, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I just noticed when I woke up this morning, I was like, it's still dark. That's odd. I'm like, okay, it's dark both sides. That feels weird. I'm like, when are we switching? I'm like, it's not for, wow, another like four weeks. That's crazy. So, <laughs> so that may have something to do with it, too. I think that was something, especially like when I lived in Michigan, that was something that I noticed just how much gray and dark there was, was a, a mood, really, really affected mood. And I really realized it when I moved to a warm and sunny place, like, oh, yeah, that was a really big deal. <laughs> yeah, it's darker up here, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Anything that you'd like to release, share, work on? No, I just, uh, yeah, I'd like to, um, no, I've just been setting a, an intention recently to really um, focus on, my big thing is just feeling peace within while I am like, embarking on this new stage of my life here in Portland, being more alone, spending more time alone, having some some of my support, you know, having physically distanced. Um, just really having, really finding that peace within and may, or maintaining it, I should say. Um, and so that's just kind of my intention, I guess putting that out there. That's, that's, that's my work right now, personally. Um, yeah. I love that, and I am happy to hold it with you, and everyone who listens to this will also add their energy and hold that, too. Um, just really affirming, you know, that we can find that peace within and 
and, and just continue to move and grow, but knowing we are complete and whole in and of ourselves. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. Would you like to pray out? Sure. Yeah. Do you have any specific intentions or requests or anything? I think um, for me and my family, it's just, you know, remaining in peace and gratitude and harmony as much as possible over these next few weeks with lots of transitions and lots of various energy (laughs) coming into play, so... That's a lot. Just paraphrase it however you wish. I think the most important part is actually speaking it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's done already. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we take a deep breath now. Feeling so grateful to have this intimate connection today with Kel and Araba, anyone else who is listening later or just anyone we're holding in our energy, our family, our loved ones, who we are holding in love, we are holding in gratitude, we ask from spirit now to assist us in finding, in remaining and feeling that peace and that harmony and that gratitude within ourselves, within our family, in the way that we spend time and relate to our family, no matter what we're going through or our family's going through, Right now, may we present it with, may we face it with humility and gratitude and grace and compassion. We send so much love and healing support to our brothers and sisters, all named and unnamed to Kevin, to Linda and her mother, to everyone else needing that support right now. We send that to ourselves. We embody it. We expand into this love and compassion and this help and this beautiful journey that we have all had the pain that we've experienced, knowing that where we've come from with that was all for our highest and best. We are willing to trust that that's true for anything, anything we experience from this moment on. We invite many, many more miracles. And so it is. And so it is. Amen. 
What a gorgeous, beautiful prayer. Thank you. Thank you. By this time, time, I'm just like, I'm like through the ringer because, you know, it's like 930 where I am. Oh, wow. It is. Yeah. (laughs) So I love that prayer. Thank you so much, Cal. So good to connect. Yes. This was lovely. Yes. I hope you have a wonderful night. Thank you. You too. You too. Keep smiling. You have a great smile. Oh, thank you. You too. (laughs) Thank you. Bye, hon. Bye.